0: Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but it said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively woe to them For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh.
1: This is the last message in this series on the praying church and when Jeremy asked me to uh, cover this Sunday, one of the first passages that came to my mind was Jude 24 and 25 and then I started to have doubts about that text, not that I have doubts about the text, but I had doubts about that being the appropriate way to conclude this series. And then a couple of weeks ago, Jeremy said something in one of his messages on prayer, and it was all that that I needed to hear from the Spirit. This, This was the right place to land for this series. So I trust that God's Word and the truth of God's Word would encourage you and cause you and cause me to worship Him in spirit and in truth. To that end, let's pray that He accomplishes that. Father, we come into your presence. You are a holy God. Who could rescue us from all of our failings? Who could redeem us from the slave market of sin? Who could bring sight to those that are spiritually blind? Who could bring life to those that are dead in their trespasses and sins? The answer is only a holy God. A God of love. A God of compassion. A good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And so we come this morning with hearts that desire to bring you worship, the desire to give you the honor that is due who you are and what you've done and what you will do. And so, Father, I pray that you would remove all distractions from my mind and from the minds of those that are listening. I pray that you would cleanse our minds from sin. Father, we are a sinful people. Uh, We sin daily. Maybe we don't recognize it as such, but it's sin anytime we disregard you or don't honor you the way you desire to be honored, anytime we do not image you the way you desire to be imaged. So forgive us, cleanse us, and cause us now to be renewed in our faith and to then be able to serve you well in the week ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, Jesus, uh, last week, Jeremy mentioned Jude, and he specifically pointed to the section in Jude that talked about grumblers. Um, and uh, when I think about my own life, um, if I reflect with all honesty, um, I will have to admit I am a grumbler. Um, and I suspect most of you are as well. And God came to rescue all of the people uh, that are uh, listed in this book of Jude. Jude wanted to talk about the common salvation, but he found it more necessary to remind them that they needed to look carefully at those who were teaching them to ensure that those that were teaching them were teaching what God said and not what man says. So my heart's desire this morning is to teach only truth Uh, This morning, Rob, during adult, adult discipleship hour, reminded us that there have always been these opposing factions about what God's Word is and how to interpret it. And in this church, we believe God's Word is inspired by God, and it is truth, and it's desirable and suitable and appropriate and necessary for doctrine, for salvation, for reproof, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness. It's not just cleverly devised tales by man. This is God's word for our benefit, because he loves us. He loves us deeply. Now, this morning we sang, To God be the glory, great things he has done. And whenever I sing a hymn, especially one that's been around for a long time, I like to be reminded of who the author is. And the author of that hymn is Fanny Crosby. That was her maiden name. She did marry. She was a blind lady. She was not blind at birth. Uh, She had an eye infection when she was very, very young, when she was a baby, and some well-meaning people put a salve on her eyes that blinded her. And so she went through life blind. Um, She did not, however, uh, find her blindness to be a hindrance to her life. And one of the reasons for that is that her grandmother uh, and her mother were godly people. Her grandmother, um, I'm reading from a a really excellent uh, book by Faith Cook, Our Hymn Writers and Their Hymns. So again, it's by Faith Cook, Our Hymn Writers and Their Hymns. And here's what she says. I'm not going to read this entire section on Fanny Crosby because it's far too lengthy for a morning worship. But I want you to hear this part. She was an only only child. An only child, Fanny had lost her father before her first birthday. And the strongest influence in her young life was that of her grandmother. Who took special delight in introducing her blind daughter to the beauties of nature. She taught her to identify the flowers by touch and scent and described in vivid language the glories of rivers, lakes, bird life, sunrise, sunset, and the wide canopy of the skies at night. Fanny could recognize the different trees by the feel of the leaves, but more than this, her grandmother taught her to love the scriptures, and soon Fanny was committing long passages to memory. Know if you hear nothing else this morning, know that as a father, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, as an uncle, as an aunt, as a nephew, as a niece, you have an opportunity to be a blessing in the lives of others. You just don't know. And in fact, the impact was so great that Fanny Crosby wrote, To God Be the Glory, which we sang, and we will sing again. And I especially appreciate one of the stanzas of that hymn, that great hymn. This hymn was often sung at the Billy Graham Crusades, along with some other favorites. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when, Jesus, we see, When Jesus, we see. She also wrote another song that many of you will recognize. She wrote, someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king and i shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace and i shall see him face to face what a song uh, from a blind lady so she desired for god to receive the glory to god be the glory that was that was her song the, the songs that we sang this morning, um, I, I love them all. I, I appreciate Jane in selecting them because they all talk about the glory of God and the reasons why he deserves the glory. So this morning, the, the main idea, uh, this, this, this uh, portion of Jude is a, is a gospel prayer and a song of praise. It's a gospel song are a gospel prayer and a song of praise. So the main idea that I want us to think about this morning as I go through the points is God is the only God, and, and Jude actually says that twice in this small book, that he's the only God, and therefore our prayers should be expressions of faith and adoration, accepting and, and, and adoration, accepting any substitute is irrational and disastrous. I have four points. I have four sheets of paper. Um, I think. Now I have four sheets of paper. And I believe that I can get through this uh, in a brief fashion, but still communicate some really important truths that we all need to hear, myself included. Number one, Jesus, he will keep me because he is a good and sovereign God. He will keep me. Jude says that in verse 1. He's writing to, uh, and by the way, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, if you didn't know that, so he had a claim to fame, although he didn't boast about that. He boasted in Christ. But he says, To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And then he concludes his book, his epistle, by uh, using a doxology, a prayer and a praise that says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. How do we know that he is good? Well, we know that he is good because his character is displayed by his works. His character is displayed by his works. Psalm 33, verses 4 and 5 say this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. His works declare his goodness. If you're in doubt, look at what he made. It declares his goodness. In fact, we may miss this, but in Genesis 131, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God is a good God, and what he makes is very good. There's no flaw in his original creation. And even in his ongoing work in the lives of those he loves, he displays his goodness. It says in Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And if we translate that into the gospel, no good thing does he withhold from those who are his in Christ Jesus. And those that's the audience that Jude is writing to. And we can also know that God is good from Jesus and who is the Son, and His work. God is good because of Jesus and His work. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1-10, through 10, uh, Paul starts his letter to the church in Ephesus this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Uh, Jude talks about that blameless aspect in his prayer. He says he will keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence. So Paul is also saying that, in love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, which was a good will, a good and glorious will that brings him glory, oh, things in heaven, and things in earth. So Jesus also reveals God's goodness, and he was a perfect image bearer. He was the Son of God. And we can also see that God is good by the promises made that are promises kept. When God makes a promise, his promise is solid. It's rock, it's better than rock solid. It's better than titanium solid. It's better than diamond solid. It is solid solid not mushy solid at all not not temporary solid it's solid forever he's a rock Uh, i like the way paul says this to the church in corinth in second corinthians 120 for all let that sink in for all the promises of god find their yes in him (laughs) think about that for a second God is saying, when I make a promise, I say yes to it. Nothing more needs to be discussed. It's settled. I make the promise. I can keep the promise. I will keep the promise. I say yes to the promise I made. He makes no promises frivolously. His his promises are good. And so that is why it is through him that we utter our, our amen to God for his glory. You're going to see that cropping up in this conversation this morning. It's for His glory. He is good, and it is for His glory that we respond to Him. And notice that in Jude, in that passage that we're looking at this morning, in verse 24, whoops. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. He's keeping a promise to help you not stumble. Now, we do succumb to temptation, and we do yield to temptation, but he's not going to be giving up on his promise. He's desiring that we not stumble. That's his goal for us. And ultimately, he will present us blameless. Let that sink in. I got lots of blame based on my thinking, my attitudes, my wrong responses, my choices, my yielding to to temptation. But God says, because of the finished work of Christ, the truth that's presented in God's Word, I'm going to present you blameless before a holy God, a holy God. That's amazing. That's nothing less than amazing. That's page one. Page two. He is my only God. Uh, in verse uh, 25 it says he's, he's responding and he's acknowledging and he's worshiping the only God. And in fact, in the beginning of the book, um, he says, where is it? Jude 1-4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. Now, there are lots of substitutes in life. I used to work for Universal Foods. It's not called that anymore. In fact, it shouldn't have been called that originally because it didn't make foods. They didn't really distribute foods. What they made were stuff for foods. So there was a spice division in California. There was a flavor division in Indianapolis. There was a food color business in Warner Jenkinson. Uh, I was told that one day there was a problem in the Warner Jenkinson plant, and some dye got out of the plant somehow in a way that wasn't desirable and got into the river, and the river got dyed. The city fathers were not happy when that happened. Now, there are different kinds of colors. There are the colors God made. They're called natural colors. And so when you look at a label on some product and it says it's natural colors, if they're telling you the truth, it's something they got from nature, from creation. If it says artificial, you should pause and reflect about that a little bit. Now, in this, you probably can't read all the things that are on this wheel here, but there's a product, uh, uh, group of products from KidStar, and they talk about all the different colors that are approved, all right? And uh, so here's, here's a few of them. Blue, number two, is linked to ADHD allergies and brain tumors. Yellow, number five, damages DNA, has cancer risk, and depletes zinc yellow number six, linked to food allergies, eczema, ADHD, thyroid tumors. You get the point. In our desire to color our world unnaturally, artificially, we run into serious problems. Now, the the other picture there is from the, the Warner Jenkinson part of the website. They make natural colors. Where do they get the red color from? Well, they get that for lipsticks and cosmetics from crushing red beetles. So if you're wearing red lipsticks, mmm, red beetles, tasty. Um, but they also get it from red radishes, so maybe your cosmetic manufacturer used the radish. I'm not too fond of kissing beetles or radishes, but... And, and I don't, I'm not saying don't wear makeup. Okay, I'm not, that's not the point. What I'm saying is that there's there are certainly things that are look like, smell like, taste like the real thing, and they're not the real thing. And Jude talks about all of those in his book. He says, here's all the things that are crying out to be the substitutes in your life, and none of them are satisfactory. So, does God have a rival? I always think about uh, Elijah. I love the way Elijah Uh, basically mocks the prophets of Baal. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Elijah and Ahab's prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 are offering sacrifices to their gods. And there's lots of prophets of Baal. It's kind of like Elijah's way outnumbered. Um, But he doesn't let that dissuade him because he happens to know the only true God. And so He says to them in verse 21, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. So he's acknowledging maybe Baal is your God and maybe he's a God. Let's put him to the test. And so they cry out in verse 26, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. We do the same thing. We, we bring substitutes into our lives that we think will satisfy, that think irrationally are a good thing for us when God says they are not. And in verse 29, as the midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. But when Elijah prayed to the only true God, fire came Down, because he is the only true God. Psalm 86.10 says this, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Isaiah 45, verse 14 says this, Thus says the Lord, The wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, the men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you saying, surely God is with you. So they're talking to the people of God, those that are trusting in God. And this is what they say. And there is no other, no God besides him. Even Satan and the demons know the truth of the matter. Think about that. They know there is only one true God. They present the alternatives as a way to deceive. They're liars. First, uh, John's epistle. John loved to talk about the only God. And he kept pointing to Jesus. Believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. These things are written that you might believe in the name of the Son of God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He's calling Jesus the only God, just like Jude did. John 3.16, don't miss this. We know this verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only son who is the only God that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life John 5:44 How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God John 17:3 and this is e- eternal life <clears throat> that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So clearly, John believes there's only one true God. Elijah clearly believes there's only one true God. The psalmist clearly believes it, and in fact, Satan believes it too. So we can pretty much conclude God is the only God, if we're rational about it, that is. I mean, if we, if we want to think crazy thoughts, we can conclude there are other gods, but that's other nonsense. And because he's the only God, in Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, and you'll notice I'm reading a lot of scripture. That is by design, I hope you realize that. That's not for lack of my ability to talk about all kinds of stuff that you don't need to hear. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So his purpose is for us to trust to the only wise God be glory forevermore. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Oh, that's what Jude says. Hmm. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory. They agree. I think to the only God, glory is owed forevermore through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, Amen. Just like Jude says, Amen. So be it. 1 Timothy 1, verses 16 and 17. But I receive mercy for this reason. So he's talking about how awful of a sinner he was. And he didn't deserve mercy mercy. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, that is, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude one four says that. So ask yourself, what other gods might have to offer that are better than what is presented in Romans chapter 8? And I'm not going to read Romans chapter 8, except for to read one verse, the very first one. You can read some of the others. I think I put them in the notes. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he is the only God, so he gets to declare, there is now no condemnation if you are in me. Praise God for that. Number three, he is my Savior. Uh, that's what Jude says. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Lord God is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And what are the limitations to his salvation? Let's figure out how he is limited. And you probably can sense that where we're going with this. Um, He can keep you from stumbling, Jude says. Failure is not a limitation for God's promises. He can present you blameless. Your guilt is not a limitation. It's not good. You are guilty apart from Christ. You deserve to be punished for your sin, but that's not a limiting factor for God's salvation. He can save the worst of sinners. Myself included. He can bring you safely into God's presence, Jude says. Whoa, that's pretty secure. When I breathe my last, I am ushered safely into his presence. That's how good his salvation is. Doesn't seem very limited to me. There are no limits to the joy. He says... He's going to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. This is not just passable joy, or at least I'll be happy. This is great joy. You know what Steve Jobs said on his deathbed? He said, I've got all the money I need. I've got all the renown I need. I've got everything I need except for one thing. I have no joy that's the word of a man apart from christ please don't be that person what about works well he did the work he does the work and he completes the work so hmm i don't have to do the work he completed the work on calvary he declared on calvary it is finished he currently does the work in you through God and through his Holy Spirit. He can do this because of the new covenant that he established that we're going to celebrate in just a few minutes here. He can do this because he accomplished the work and it's not dependent on any of my competence, any of my ability, any of my goodness, any of my perfection. And time is not a limiting factor. I like how Jude ends his epistle. This God, the only God, deserves glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forevermore he's operating outside of time is the reality here he deserves honor and glory throughout all time i might say i ran out of time i did not have time i don't think i have enough time god doesn't have that problem when it comes to salvation he's not limited by time at just the right time Jesus came to save this is not so much so with the this is not so with the with God our savior in other words i may be limited but not God our savior not God my savior he is sufficient before time now and forever time does not present any boundaries or hindrances for god's work or god's plan and hence we worship him because he's worthy of that. And finally, number four. I grabbed some pictures from creation because you all can see. Is there anybody here that's blind? Raise your hand. Okay, nobody's blind. So you can see. Um, one of the things that Jude says is God gets the credit, God gets the glory. He gets all the credit. Not my works, not my wealth, not my skills. In fact, the hymn we sang was only a holy God. Come and behold him. Worship him. He deserves the glory for all that he's done, for all that he did, for all that he will do. He deserves the glory. He gets all the credit. And the heavens declare the glory of God. And so as I was thinking about all the things that God has made in Psalm 19, it talks about everything about his handiwork. So I've got some slides to remind us. When I was in the Navy, I spent part of the time on the island of uh, the big island, the island of Hawaii. Most of the time was on the island of Oahu. All the islands are beautiful that I've been to, and I've heard that the other ones are too. So um, they're all gorgeous. Behold his glory. Next slide, please. This is Ukraine snow covered white spruce trees. Snow created by God. Billions upon trillions upon billions and quadrillions of snowflakes, all placed by the masterful hand of God on his creation. Behold his glory. See his magnificence. Next slide Grand Canyon. It's a grand canyon. It's amazing. And regardless of what they might teach in some schools, that's not something that kind of just happened. That's a masterful artwork by the hand of a loving creator, the only God. Next slide. Oh, in Israel. When you think of Israel... You think kind of like Sea of Galilee and maybe deserts and long rocky roads. Well, in Israel, they have buttercup fields. I always think of Princess Buttercup when I see Buttercup. (laughs) If you don't know what that is, talk to somebody that's watched The Princess Bride. Uh, Behold God's glory. Just a little snapshot. He's revealing himself that we may see him in a unique and special way. Next slide. Oh, the skies declare his glory. Did you ever notice how many blues there are? Wendy, how many blues are there? Lots. Wendy says lots. There's lots and lots and lots of blues, all from the creative hand of God, the master artist. Next slide. Ireland, waterfalls created by the masterful hand of God with the northern lights painted into the sky. Who does that? Only a holy God, a perfect God, a loving God. Next slide. And if you get out far enough away from this planet that we're spinning around on, we see a beautiful, beautiful ball floating in an immense universe with everything that we need provided by a loving God within that little tiny space of the universe. Only a holy God. And finally, if you zoom in on an insect or you zoom in on the feather of a bird, you will see amazing details. A peacock feather is beautiful, but zoom in on a peacock feather. Who creates that? Only a holy God. So he deserves the glory. He also deserves the majesty because he is a splendid God. I see nothing more beautiful or awesome than my God. Here's what Arthur W. Pink, a a famed theologian, said. Happy is the soul that has been awed by God's majesty. Happy is the soul that has been awed by God's majesty. And I just gave you those pictures as a reminder of the God that does that does even greater things that we can't see. But he's faithful and he's good. God also, according to Jude, deserves dominion. Well, dominion is territory. And God has no limits on his territory. So the United States has some limits on its territory. (laughs) And so you know, we, we get into a long political discussion on that. That's not my purpose. God doesn't have any limits. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is over all nations. All nations will bow before him. All nations will acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only God, all nations. He has universal authority. There is no location where he fails to reign. Don't doubt it. And finally, he deserves uh, all authority to God, our Lord, all authority. His ruling is final. No portion of his promises, covenants, or commands will ever fail. And in fact, what is being sung in heaven is the following from Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created And that's for his glory. There is only one good response. And I like what Rob said at the conclusion of Adult Discipleship Hour about John Chrysostom's final words. John Chrysostom's final words were, Glory be to God for all things. So let's be amazed. Let's be joyful let's worship the only good response to the god who loves you and the only god who saves is worship god justifiably deserves that so once again the main idea this morning i wanted us to focus and think carefully about god is the only god i hope you got that Hope there's no doubt in your mind now I realize, before you came here, you would have said, if I would have asked, is God the only God, you would have said yes. But therefore, our prayers should be expressions of faith and adoration. And that's what we need a reminder for. We need that reminder every week, every day. Accepting any substitute is irrational and disastrous. So now we're going to trans—oh, I did provide some reflection questions— Um, And they should be on the handout. They are also uh, in Church Center, so if you use Church Center you can see them there. I'm not going to read them to you, but let me encourage you to give some thought to what this really means that we have the only God and what it means to give him glory and honor and worship and praise.